0: Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes of the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Well, it's the second week of recess, but it doesn't mean that we've been short of political stories, so let's crack right into it. So today the big news is, uh, oh sorry, my name is Felix Demare and I'm the digital political reporter I'm at Jessica One News. I'm Jessica Mitch Mackay. <laughs> Benedict Collins.
1: Koshla Norman.
0: Can you tell we're in a little bit of a hurry today? I think it's pretty (laughs) obvious. Um, Yeah, so the biggest news of the day, as I I got to a little too uh, prematurely there, um, is that uh, the IPCA, the Independent Police Conduct Authority, has... uh, released the report into the Wellington protest and occupation. Kush, you've been right across this. You're about to run out and go and file your track.
1: What's going on? I'll hit you with the top line. So 1,905 complaints, that is the biggest number of complaints the IPCA has ever received for an event. So they've been at this for more than a year. $3.5 million has been spent on it. The amount of footage that they've had to go through and decipher what is justified use of force, what isn't. Now, 1905 complaints, 85% of those were actually from people not physically at Parliament at the time. So watching it on live streams, social media... That, I think, is a really interesting fact. That doesn't mean to say that their complaints weren't credible or justified. They still had to assess that. The IPCA chair said, look, we had to sort of shake the trees on everything. In the end, though, they sort of whittled it down to 19 specific complaints where they looked at use of force. Was it justified or unjustified by police? And they've come up with eight um, counts where they believe that use of force um, was not justified, so things like a police officer um, punching a protester. On the other hand, they have found there are some instances there were police officers that um, threw bricks at protesters. Now, they say that that use of force was justified because it was in self-defence. Mm. Right. Once you get through that, there's the next sort of layer of the um, complaints and the authorities work here is, is the wider handling of the protest, the 23 days, how they went about it. So day one, cast your mind back to that summary day of February uh, last year, and the intelligence was good. So um, the police knew up to several hundred to a thousand were rolling into town, mm. um, but they underestimated it. And this was there, really turns out to be The significant flaw is the sort of the underestimation, underestimation, uh, the uh, unpreparedness, the lack of planning. They seem to be the key things, the key failings on, on the police's behalf. But really, was there a single course of action that they could have taken? Super difficult to say, but they did drop the ball on something very simple. Talking to Wellington City Council about what they call, was a bit jargony, traffic management, mm. um, which is blocking off roads and things. They would have thought, come on, that would have been number one on the priority list. So Stopping them
2: setting up camp in the first yeah, place, right? Mm.
1: Yeah, because yes, you ended, parking
2: all their vehicles you all ended
1: up in a yeah. really difficult situation where at the most point, um, you know, there were hundreds of cars cl- clogging the streets around Parliament. They also had an issue with the laws, and the laws not being fit for purpose. So police can't actually impound and seize vehicles, just like at the drop of a hat. So they have proposed um, three law changes following this report.
0: Yeah, and there was a statement out from the Police Minister, Minister Ginny Anderson uh, this morning too, saying that the uh, the government would take a look at that, but also had to bear in mind the balance with people's right to protest as well. So they're, they're looking into that.
3: The big things for me looking through the report and reading it were the questions around political interference and that was a really interesting point that they looked at that to see whether the police decisions especially um, around that um, February 10 where they were trying to Um, pull people out and they failed ultimately Um, whether there was political pressure on the police commissioner to act on that they found that there wasn't Uh, there were a few interesting details around um, the former Speaker Trevor Mallard uh, the fact that uh, police very strongly said to him do not turn on the sprinklers and do not uh, play annoying music to the protesters It only inflames things. And, of course, as we know, he, he did. Uh, one interesting thing he I thought... And was swiftly
2: promoted to ambassador <laughs> of <Ireland.
3: laughs> Yeah, and who's now on the other side of the world as the report comes out. Um, another Listen to inter- ben
0: Barry Manilow, no doubt.
3: I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, another interesting point as well was around fire extinguishers. Because of the threat to... Um, a fire starting among the crowds, um, the Speaker decided it was a good idea to go out and give the protesters a whole lot of um, fire extinguishers in case a fire broke out. It turns out, though, they then used those against police, um, throwing them, spraying them. Um, and that were, and one of the notes in there was said he. it's now obviously something he regrets doing. Um, the Speaker? The Speaker regrets doing. Um, the other so he, aspect, enraged
2: them and, he enraged them and,
0: and armed gave
3: them. The, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, well done, I do Trevor. understand that to an extent, you know, you're worried about their safety. I, I, you're you know, the landlord as well. You're not and necessarily mm, anticipating yeah. that they're going to use them as projectiles, I think. Um, and to some extent, the country and maybe Trevor Millard were, 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 you know, were all a bit na- naive to the way that that protest was going to escalate.
3: Yeah, and that's a fair point. Um the other part that I found really interesting was around um, whether the Prime Minister should go out and talk to the protesters, and we know that she didn't throughout their occupation. The Police Commissioner actually went and met with her and said, Prime Minister, what are your plans? Um, is this something that you're going to do? And she said, no, I'm not, and these are the reasons why, A, for safety, B, because she felt like... People, those protesters had followed her around the country and had they got their point across, and also the fact that um, some of their um, language and actions um, didn't uh, encourage someone to want to engage. She may not
2: have got a fair hearing from people hoping (laughs) to hang her.
3: No. But I guess th- whether that inflamed the situation and whether that made it really challenging.
1: Well, it made, I think, the protesters dig in, you know. They put up this incredible resistance, which police didn't really expect and mm. totally underestimated that sort of sheer willpower, like dancing in the rain to baby duck on. It was the baby shark. shark. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Ducks and <laughs> rain, God will she
0: doesn't have kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neither do <laughs> I, to I've got a <laughs> nephew, though. That's why I know.
1: <laughs> but they just dug in so hard. Yeah. They did have an a, an extreme list of demands as as well. But by the time that you got to that, I'll just talk a little bit about the final day as well, because, I mean, that's where it all came to a head. Um, and even though the police, they had prep time, right, leading up to that, they'd sort of dropped the ball initially, that I don't know if you remember February tenth. That was the day of mass arrest. They arrested like a hundred people, widely seen as a bit of a, a failure there. Because and it turns out a lot of the, those arrests, they had to drop the prosecutions because, again, un- underpreparedness and they um, didn't have the resources to to take the notes and collect the collect evidence. The evidence. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. And then so they did have more prep time. Bollards, though didn't come up for, like, you know, took a good maybe 10 days, two weeks, which was a crucial move. Final day, it all, you know, fire and fury, and one of the key sort of findings on that final day was just the the lack of protective equipment for police, particularly hard body armour, yeah. um, and this fear that they might have looked too militaristic or confrontational. I mean, they looked like Captain America, the, you know, the gladiatorial gear. Yeah. Um, but... Um, so... You had situations where in the IPCA report that um, police officers were getting hurt. It was incredibly yet volatile and violent. See, and they were dashing off to, to put on their armour because they hadn't been given the go-ahead, the call hmm. that they could use it in the first place. That's
3: really interesting because I feel like, and you will have been the same, Kush, but we've, you've seen protests all around the world and I do feel like our police looked, I, I don't, know if they did look adversarial like I think you know they obviously had to have the shields up and things like mm-hmm. that but I reading that part I felt really frustrated that that there was a perception that they thought oh we're a bit worried that they might look really combative so we're not going to give them the proper safety equipment and, and to me that just is such a basic um, management issue that you know it should be safety first for um, your people and um, out and about and and compared to the kind of um, combat that police have around the world and, and protests that we've seen in the past like I do feel like the restraint showed by police um, though, especially in that final day because I guess that's what stands out to me and what um, happened in my, you know, is etched in my memory I guess is the looking down on those um, police officers who were injured and hurt being pulled back to just below the beehive where we were reporting live from um, and we were in this sort of Relative safety on this um, on the deck, basically overlooking things and just what these guys were going through down there. And because I don't know, I think we've seen these scenes a lot from overseas, but the fact that it was New Zealand happening in New Zealand on our Parliament grounds, which is our workplace, and that really hit home to me. And it, it, yeah, it definitely is, is a day that I'll never forget mm. as a journalist. Yeah. And just on the restraint, they IPCA
1: said that they were professional they they showed professionalism, oh, I can't get my words out today, but professionalism <laughs> on the most part and their so overall takeaway was that the police did serve New Zealand well.
0: Mm. And I should just say too, um, ACT have uh, commented as well on um, the this report and they said that, uh, actually leader, David Seymour, actually said that uh, there were ugly acts on all sides um, in his view um, in light of the report um, and he said it's important, to, quote, it's important to look at what caused the event. Event needlessly inflexible vaccination policy. So, you know, there are, of course, a variety of views around around this report. So we should um, move on because... I'll love
1: and leave you guys. Yeah,
0: Kush is off. (laughs) See you later, Kush. That was awesome.
3: (laughs) Five-star review, yeah. Shall we talk now about the national policy? So Mm. um, you went along to that... I just want to um, let it be known that Benedict is a former um, rural reporter, so I just think the extra gravitas that he deserves and and has earned uh, in this realm I just think should be noted for the record.
0: People are not to know this, but he comes to work every day in gumboots and a singlet and um, swan dry. That's Um, right. So that's a little known fact about Benedict that's not true at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yesterday, uh, the National Party they <laughs> got down to the farm. Um, yeah, a little disappointing to see that uh, Christopher Luxon didn't even um, don gumboots for the um, adventure. But yeah, they, they uh, rocked out to a um, dairy farm in um, somewhere I think maybe South Auckland,
3: Southeast Auckland, Southeast Wordford. Auckland. Mm-hmm.
2: Awesome. Yeah, and anyway, it announced their getting back to farming announcement. And there was actually a whole heap to digest in there. Uh, So a few of the key announcements, they were planning on doubling the number of RSC workers. Uh, The cap at the moment is 19,000, doubling that up to uh, 38,000. And of course, these RSE workers, especially in the last 15 years, they've really taken over. They're the manpower behind our horticultural sector. Really vital. We just don't pay enough to attract um, New Zealanders into the, you know, they're just not... Um, we don't have the workforces in these regions. You know, they provide an incredible service, yeah. but there are also real, real concerns about some of the conditions that some of these um, workers from the mainly, nearly all from the Pacific, um, end up in, and whether they're being exploited. Um, So the National Party proposed to double that. Another interesting thing there, they proposed to create a pathway to um, residency for them, which is what they can do in Australia as well. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. Which is Mm saying
0: the Greens back. So that's a a bit of a rare occurrence for the Nats and Greens to agree
2: on something. That's right. The Greens really um, liked that part of the policy. Mm. They, They, of course, would like to see... Uh, More protections there for those workers, though, to make sure they're not being exploited. We talked to um, Eugenie Sage, uh, the Greens Environment spokesperson, about that yesterday. Um, Yeah, some of the other policies they were um, proposing on banning foreign investors from turning farmland into forests. Uh, They also had some uh, more quirky things like. uh, for every two, for every new rule that you introduce, you'd have to basically get rid of two other rules, um, which, yeah, was uh, k- kind of interesting, uh, given they announced several uh, or multiple new rules um, yesterday themselves that they were going to bring in and couldn't really identify many policies they wanted to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so they had that. And then another really interesting one that they had was, so basically the, the, at the end of this month, we're going to ban live cattle shipments. And that is because a couple of years ago, a ship with full of New Zealand um, dairy cows was heading up to China and it sank off the coast of Japan. Uh, There's 43 crew on board, I think. 41 of them died. There were only two survivors. 6,000 cattle died. The ship should never have been, um, it wasn't, sounded like it wasn't particularly seaworthy anyway, and as soon as it headed into the storm, it sank. Um, so a huge disaster there. The government said, hey, look, we're going to phase it out. End of mm. this month, I, I'm not sure if it's two or one ship left still to leave New Zealand, um, and that that was it. Then it was going to be banned. Mm. National promised to bring it back. And I thought it was quite interesting. Um, during the press conference, National's animal welfare spokesperson, Nicola Grigg, she said, look, she's been out onto um, one of the ships off Napier, I think she said, she said she visited it. She said, "Look, state uh, you know, fantastic conditions for the animals there. They send back daily reports on their welfare back to New Zealand." She's really confident. She gave her personal guarantee. She got assure New Zealanders that that cattle on these ships would be treated after would be treated absolutely perfectly. I thought that was kind of interesting, um, given you know we've had decades of um, incidents and concerns around live animal exports. There have just been so many.
3: You know, Saudi sheep are just something that yes. springs to mind and the images that you conjure up
2: Yeah, that, that. they didn't quite go on a ship. That's, that was where the uh, national government hired a, um, a jet and flew 900 heavily pregnant sheep up to the Saudi desert. Uh, oh, to. Try I'm to, thinking um, of the
3: pregnant sheep.
2: Yes, they, they were pregnant sheep, heavily pregnant ah. sheep, um, to try and placate a Saudi billionaire who was annoyed that we'd shut down... Um, live exports yeah and they got up there and all their lambs died so it was live exports but a little bit um a little bit different there've yeah. been you know a whole heap of incidents uh, especially around the sheep exports um you know australia had its name dragged through the mud after they had one where um they sent up a ship full of sheep up to the middle east and by the time it got up there the person who owned the ship um had fallen out with like the middle eastern governments and they wouldn't let the ship dock and they uh, it was like a catastrophe at sea. Ship die, uh, so sheep dying everywhere. Apparently, there were like sharks following this boat because they just oh kept chucking all the dead sheep off the back. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, animal welfare catastrophe. And so, we interviewed Damien O'Connor yesterday. He was saying, "Look, it's such a long journey from New Zealand up to up to China or other parts of the world where we send these animals. That you know, these animals are spending three plus weeks at sea. They're going through the equator. Very." Hot conditions. New Zealand just cannot guarantee that the animal welfare will be acceptable on these very long journeys. And he said the risk to New Zealand's reputation isn't worth it, given the size of the industry. Yeah. So I thought that was all pretty interesting. But the real, the, the really interesting thing here, I think, is that you know the National Party spent most of that, most of their press conference attacking the government, criticising the government over this policy, that policy. They're going to do so much, better, blah blah blah. But I think what National is really concerned about is that the ACT Party is digging into their traditional voter support base in rural New Zealand. Um, ACT is having gains in rural New Zealand. It's picking up uh, farmers. It's picking up rural people that traditionally would have voted national. And so a lot of yesterday's announcement was actually, hey, sure, we're criticising the government on one account. But on the other hand, we're also trying to sh- show to farmers, hey, we're here for you Um you know, come come back to us. Don't leave and run off with mm. the ACT Party.
0: Trying to reinforce that na- that prevailing narrative, I suppose, that the that the National Party
2: is the party of farmers. As yeah. well as, yeah, as yeah. As and, and, and they yeah. are concerned that ACTs muscling into their territory there. So, um, do you think th- it will have? Kind of
0: uh, you know, what's your sense of how it might pl- uh, it's playing with farmers? I mean, Federated Farmers. I saw they were they were pretty keen on the policy,
2: uh, so it was groundswell. Do you think it will have an impact in the in the election? Yeah, I think. I think this will be the first of quite a few announcements that we see um, mm. from the national party targeting agriculture. You know, I was looking at their caucus lineup. A lot of them seem to be city slickers, right? So probably the more time they can spend out on out on the farm, talking to farmers, hearing this other story, announcing rural policies, you know, I think you know that's somewhere where they're going to spend a lot of energy between now and October the fourteenth. And
3: also, really interesting that they feel like they have to shore up their base in that way. Um, because yeah. you know, often you're scrapping over that middle, mm, that swing this voter, this centre is, vote. Yeah. yeah, this is not necessarily so. Um, just politically interesting. Is it an well.
0: acknowledgement, maybe, and I might be reaching. I don't know that the that Labor are starting to reach into that centre vote, and you know, maybe Nationals trying to consolidate that traditional nat- national voting. Base and, I guess it's the, the
3: fact that perhaps they've learnt lessons from the past as well. That um, if things aren't looking as solid as they might have hoped, you know, a year ago or 18 months ago, solidify that base, keep that um, back you to know, basics. 25 yeah. to 30% happy, mm. and, and try and scrap out the extras later mm. on, closer uh, to the time.
2: Yeah, and even as we talk about this, I think back to the 2020 election where they they hemorrhage so much of their traditional support base anyway, right? So I'm also keeping that in my kind of mind as well. Um, They they took an absolute hiding in seats that they would normally... You know, win, win comfortably. Yeah. So even though we're sort of talking about National being the party for farmers and it's it's traditional support, well, they lost place, a lot of quite, farmers last yeah, election. They, so. they they did mm. kind of ditchy last time, so it's mm. almost kind of winning them back as well. And mm. I'm not
3: sure if we can make the segue, but talking about um, losing people to another place as a New Zealanders Oh, nice over to Australia, segue. was that okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it wasn't too bad. Um, why she's the boss. <laughs> we <laughs> we. Um, uh, heading across um, the Prime Minister over the weekend to Brisbane. Um, we understand there'll be um, an announcement and um, there are there are some good guesses that it may be around something about citizenship. That's something that successive New Zealand governments have been pushing for for a really long time. It's very, very unfair. and The
0: current settings, yeah. The
3: current settings are expensive, they take a long time and... Uh, we're just not treated as equals. And as we are on the eve of ANZAC Day, it would be fitting and it would make it an easier sell to the domestic Australian public uh, for these changes to um, come in, in in the shadow of ANZAC Day, if you mm. like.
0: Yeah, really um, interesting too because, you know, for a long time, I feel like, you know, Australia's had no reason to change the rules. Why would you? Your voting base doesn't care about how they treat New Zealanders, because they're not New Zealanders, they're not affected by it, which might be a, a simplified way of looking at it. But I think it's on the whole true. Um, and then the other aspect that um, I've been thinking a lot about is that if these settings do change, what impact will it have on New Zealand? Will it make Australia an even more attractive prospect to somebody who's you know maybe worried about the cost of living or um, you know different um, you know opportunities in Australia, maybe higher salaries, that sort of thing if they go if if one of the things that was holding people back is some of these lessened rights that New Zealanders have in Australia uh, holding them back from moving to Australia and then you know change the settings maybe some people will be more interested in heading over there will we see another brain drain you know we used to talk about that a lot in the 90s uh, i think it's 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 something that we need to be cognizant of as a country ourselves as well even though you know um on the face of it the most important thing is that things are fair between our two countries.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting trip. So I think it'll be good to see how it all plays out. It's only a day and a half that we're going to be there. Mm. So um, we'll keep you updated on all of those developments um, as, they, as they come in. Um, the other thing, I guess, pits and peaks.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I was going to say too, it's something, I, I, the stuff with Australia is something I'm very interested in personally, is somebody who went to school in Australia and came back to New Zealand because I couldn't get the student loan scheme. So, th- this is what I'm talking about, right? Is yeah. that if I had had that opportunity to get student loan in Australia, may well have stayed and you wouldn't be graced with my presence. So, God forbid, <laughs> right? Um, Shock horror. Yeah. I mean, if I am not sure anything could be worse. But if people don't need a reason
3: for motivation, if you are not (laughs) it, then what is that? I can't imagine.
0: Exactly. Cool. Uh, So, pits and peaks. Uh, Jess, what are your pits and peaks this week?
3: Um, I just think a really interesting thing to come out um, is around the national candidate selection. Um, The latest in his name has just slipped my mind. Um, Stephen Jack. Stephen Jack, thank you. Um, The national candidate um, coming in and um, making an obscene uh, joke and um, comparing, sharing a um, poem comparing the Prime Minister to Adolf Hitler and... I mean, we don't want to... I think it's really important in politics that we're not um, trying to make cocky-cutter politicians. It's a house of representatives. But there's a couple of basics in in politics... Um, don't be sexist, which you'd think would be a given um, with anyone with any um, shred of common sense, and maybe just leave Hitler out of any comments um, that you want to make in the political sphere. And I just think with things like this, it's just not rocket science, and how people um, with this kind of political judgment make it through your selection process um, is something that the National Party should be having a good, hard look at. Um, This is meant to be the creme de la creme.
2: Or at least delete your um, Facebook and Twitter accounts before you stand for a candidate as a candidate, eh? Hey? Yeah. Benedict, yeah. pits and peaks. Uh, my, my peak is that we're more than halfway through the middle of this horrendous three-week um, recess at Parliament. Um, yeah, only one more week to go before the politicians come back and you, it gets a lot easier to um, yeah, are do you rearing, political journalism. Are you raring all, to get back all into a week, are you? Yeah. Yeah, can't
0: wait. Yep. Me too. I feel the same. Uh, and was that pit and peak or No. You, Just interesting. Okay. Just an interesting point From Benedict what about Collins, you? Collins. Um, So my pit this week was Spending uh, about two grand At the dentist um, I think it's outrageous that I sat there And got several fillings And then um, for my, my Hard work and being such a good boy I uh, I had to pay a whole bunch of money It's crazy As an um, aside, but dental, ish, dental care
3: In New Zealand um, is a really Big political issue and I think um, There will be there is appetite for that in the upcoming ah, budget. Appetite, oh yeah, that was accidental. That was accidental genius. It's it's tough, mm. um, but I do think um, taking from your very personal <laughs> pitch of the uh, trying to make it political and trying to save. No, you, I liked it. I'm here um, for it. I do think that it is a an overwhelming issue because for most people. That money would be absolutely prohibitive for them going to the dentist.
0: And actually, genuinely, I was thinking about that at the time. If Mm. I didn't have, uh, you know, some savings put aside so that I could do that, I don't know what would happen, Mm. you know? I I guess my teeth would just rot through. I'd have to get them pulled, you know, and... um, that would be uh not a not a great time, so anyway, um thank you for listening to our dentistry podcast <laughs> we'll be back with you next week yeah, I'm sure you all um, wanted to picture my mouth um so and my peak for this week is learning to say the word air, so we were in the uh, office this morning, and I was talking about. Ears and, ears and graces and uh, Jessica much Mackay very kindly pointed out that um, I was pronouncing ear the same way I pronounce ear as in a taringa that you listen with, so I've learnt how to say air. Yeah,
3: Is that years right? Of ele- years of eloc- elocution training. It was ironic um,
0: that you stumbled on elocution. Yeah, well a
3: little bit Yeah <laughs>
0: Alright well that wraps us up for the, for the week uh, Thank you so much for listening That was One News Inside Parliament Your peek behind the scenes Of the biggest political stories of the week If you have a burning political question Send it our way Inside Parliament At tvnz.co.nz And head to onenews.co.nz For more insight And follow One News On all the great social media platforms Such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook And if you like this episode Flick us a rating We'd appreciate it Thanks. Bye.